From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to What's Wrong With Revenue, episode nine. Today, we're going to talk about having the right resource to drive revenue for growth. Eric, how are you this afternoon? I am excited for episode nine. Good. I'll be honest. I'm not at the top of my game. I'm feeling a little sick, but I'm going to power through it. Um, I'm sure, I'll be fine tomorrow. So uh, let's see real quick. The show must go on. The show must go on. All right. I couldn't possibly leave you here by yourself to handle the show all alone. Uh, that, we have to do this trouble. together, Big no trouble. matter what. Right. All right. So um, real quick housekeeping. Everybody remembers, if you want to submit questions, you can do it live via Zoom. If you want to see the show, you can go and subscribe to it on our website at the bottom uh, in the footer. What's wrong with revenue is a link. You can also catch the show on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast platforms. And today we're going to talk about resources. Now, this isn't just uh, human resources, like people, it's also financial resources. So we're going to talk all about the resources you need to hit your goals and drive revenue. Now, a lot of people have aggressive growth goals. I don't think Eric or I have met too many people who feel like they'd like to grow slowly and we want to take our time. Almost everybody is very aggressive and wants to really uh, produce the hockey stick model. Everybody knows that's the kind of dramatic up and to the right picture that people are looking for, but not everybody has the team internal or external to execute the program and support those goals. So you might not even be aware of it. You might actually think you have the right team or the right allocation of money to drive to your revenue goals, but we're going to talk about that today. And we do have a lot of questions, so we will get to it. And, uh, Part of the resources is not only numbers, right? Like numbers of dollars or numbers of people, but do you have the right skills? And I think I'd like to spend most of the time talking about skills and expertise today because revenue growth has become a much bigger picture than perhaps what it used to be 10 years ago where sales kind of hit the, hit the phones and hit the streets and tried to produce revenue and marketing did the best they could to support them. Today, like we talked about last week, you have marketing operations and sales operations and revenue operations and chief revenue officers who are, who are looking at uh, customer service, customer revenue and sales efficiencies and how is marketing generating generating leads for sales. So it could not, it might be about a match in skill set. So I want to try to cover that today as well. Anything you want to add, Ar? No, but I wanted to thank all the folks that since last week have submitted some questions. I love starting today with a full boat of questions in addition to the ones that people might ask while we're live. Good. So let's, uh, We'll get into questions in a minute. Let's uh, talk about how we can potentially align your revenue growth goals with the resources needed. Remember, when I say resources, it's money, people, and skills and expertise. So how do we go about figuring out whether there's an alignment issue? How do we go about understanding what you are expecting the company to do from a performance spec perspective and the team that you have there to help you do it? So any valuable insights you could help our uh, subscribers? Well, with I, I think you got to start with the highest level conversation about the difference between strategy and tactics, because talking to literally hundreds of business owners over the course of the um, time we've been doing square two, nobody has the correct balance between strategy and tactics. And um, if you have strategy before tactics, you get results, but yet, Lots of folks, and there's no criticism here because folks are doing the best they can or what they know about marketing, they tend to jump right into the tactics. So Mike, let's start our conversation around strategy before tactics 
and then the resources needed to execute the strategy. I think that would be a great starting point. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So, you know, when we talk about strategy, it has a couple of components, but I'm going to maybe quickly skip over a few of the components and get to the, the meat that really addresses this alignment issue. So obviously we want to know who we're trying to attract. We typically call those personas and we want to make sure there's enough people out there to justify us going after this particular market. And we want to prioritize where we're going with our resources. So a lot of clients do come to us and say, well, I want to attack these six, six personas, these six target markets. And through some conversations, some guidance, we might get them to prioritize and maybe start with one. And when they get into that first one, the way it's prioritized would allow them to get into the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. So it actually works for you as opposed to trying to go after all of them at the same time. We want to know what problems the people have. We typically call them, call them pains. And we want to know how uh, you're, you typically solve those pains. And really probably most importantly, we want to know how you're going to do it in a remarkable way, right? If you can't differentiate your business, if you don't have anything interesting to say, you probably shouldn't say anything at all. You might want to consider saving some of that money or those resources till you do have something interesting to say. But the, the, end, the, the end part of the strategy work we typically do is about aligning tactics and expectations and goals. And this is kind of what I think I want to spend most of the time talking today. If you have very aggressive goals and a limited budget, there's a lack of alignment. If you have very aggressive goals and only uh, a half a person allocated to work on your marketing, Garrick does a lot of speaking. He asks people to raise their hand. How many people have a marketing person? And a lot of people say, I have half a marketing person because they're also doing other things at the company besides, besides marketing. You have to make sure there's alignment around your goals and the amount of people you have working on it and the amount of investment you've, you've um, budgeted for getting to those goals. And that is often out of alignment. Um, Eric, you want to drill into that piece a little bit? Yeah, because, you know, if you're, if you're going to have a plan in order to grow your business, right, we need to have a, a strategy, someone to create that plan, right, that strategy. And typically, people will have a half a person, like you said, Mike, or the college intern who's managing our social media. Those are very common things that we hear. And that's fine. But who's going to develop the overarching message that's going to make an emotional connection with buyers where they want to raise their hands and talk to you because you've moved them in some way? That's a skill set that's for a senior person or a group of people that costs money. It costs time. It costs resources. And a lot of people skip over that. They jump right to the tactics. Yeah, we'll put out some emails and we'll post some stuff to social media and um, you know, we'll, we'll give away some mouse pads at our trade show. Who's going to organize that? Marketing will. And those are all fine tactics, but it skips over the biggest part of the equation, which is strategy. And when companies skip over that, they, first of all, most of the times they don't realize they're skipping over that. They check the box, we're doing marketing, right? You know, in those speaking engagements that Mike um, referred to earlier, I also asked this question. Raise your hand if you have more marketing people than salespeople. And I can tell you, maybe there's just a scattered few that have ever raised their hand. Those are mostly online e-commerce people that don't have a direct salesperson needed for the execution of their buyer's journey. But nobody, as far as the regular companies go, where they need salespeople to close the deal, ever consider, wow, if I had a crack team of marketing people, they would be generating that strategy and getting it in front of the right people and generating those leads so that my salespeople have an easier time hitting their quotas. Very few people ever think that way because... Once again, if you have a lot more salespeople than marketing uh, people, you can infer that you value sales a lot more than marketing. The challenge is that in today's world, if you're going to buy from a company, people don't really need salespeople as much as they needed them before. They need a great website experience. They need their questions answered. They need content to help them understand. And then when they're kind of ready to talk to someone, the salesperson finishes the job. And this is a big misalignment in resources because if you simply cut the bottom two performers on your 15-person sales team and rotated that into a VP of marketing who can help you with the strategy, those resources would be more aligned to what you need to do. 
create a great story, create a great content, guide people through a wonderful experience, and it results in a qualified sales opportunity. So I think that, you know, understanding that you can't just skip over the strategy and jump right to the tactics and have it all disjointed. Uh, Mike, I think you've coined the phrase random acts of marketing. And we see that on a daily basis, because when you skip the planning process, then you just do anything that comes up that feels right, as opposed to sticking to your plan, the strategic plan that your person or resources that knew how to develop it helped you with. And I think that that's a really good kind of high level explanation of some of the challenges that businesses, at least that we speak to have. Yeah, those are, there's a lot of good points there. Even if you remember when we started the company, we used to meet a lot of people who said something like, well, I hired someone to help me with my PR and that we did that for a couple of months and it didn't work. So I fired them. And then I tried doing some email marketing and I did that for a couple of months and that didn't work. So I canceled that. And then I, I found an SEO consultant and when I got on the first page of Google, but that didn't help my business grow either. It's interesting how in all this time, the outcome is basically the same. We now call it random acts of marketing, but it's basically the same thing that was going on all the way back then. They were kind of trying different things without a plan behind it and without any real knowledge about how to orchestrate those tactics together. And it was not producing results. Now we kind of call it random acts of marketing, but it's really nothing's changed in all this time uh, in a lot of cases. I think also uh, we ask prospects very frequently, well, what have you budgeted for marketing? And the answer is, and maybe you wouldn't be shocked to hear this, but I'm always surprised when they say, I don't know, we didn't budget anything yet for marketing. We're not sure. I don't think it's that they don't want to tell us. I think that it's hard for people that haven't done this before to know what to budget for marketing and know how to build a marketing budget. So they generally don't do much detailed strategy and planning around what their marketing budget should be, yet they have lofty goals. And I think that's something that if you're going to try to fix revenue, that is something that you ought to consider is if we have big goals and we need a bigger budget, if we have modest goals, then perhaps a more modest budget and a smaller team is appropriate. But if we do really want to grow, we want to grow quick, quickly, then I think you have to align your expectations about what you're going to invest in the team you're going to need and the people you're going to hire and the skills that are, are required to get that growth that you're looking for. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, let's do a question because we have a lot of them and I want to get to them. And I know you like love it or leave it. So we have a love it or leave it session later this afternoon. I am uh, excited that we'll, that we'll get to. Okay. So um, here's the question. This is from John in Dallas. If we're changing how we market and sell to a more digital approach, how do we know if we need new people like team? He actually said people slash team, or do we need to train our existing team? So he's basically asking, if we're going to do things differently, do I need new people or should I consider training my existing people? What, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, it could go either way. I don't know who the people are that John have on his team, but let's make the assumption that the people on John's team are passionate about marketing. Let, let's go there, okay? So if they're passionate about marketing, then they're reading articles and they're going to webinars and they're going to conferences and they are learning. It's not like they're living under a rock and they never heard about digital transformation or using online tools to generate sales opportunities. So let's assume that they're up on their game. If that's the case, then I would go for the training, right? Because you have good people. Let's assume they fit the culture of the company. They've been there a while, but they're executing under the old plan. And I actually think that if they are the kind of people I just described, they would be very excited about learning new skills and migrating the company into 2022 digital transformation. Now, the challenge there is that those folks on John's team are the doers. And who are the strategy people? So if John, you're listening, uh, and by the way, good question, John. If you're listening today, I would uh, challenge you, how are you leading your people in the thought process, the strategies, the uh, integration and implementation of new tools to get that digital transformation going? I don't mean to be blunt, but John, if you're not leading them, they can't follow. So they might just go back to their old ways of doing, um, you know, uh, uh, print ads for trade show magazines and, uh, you know, uh, 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 July newsletter email types that are just obviously fallen a little bit to the wayside. 
So I think we have to take a look at the team. Most marketing people are sponges when it comes to new things that are coming out. Let's just lead them into this new strategy and then have them get excited about the results that'll follow. Yeah, I would, John, I would just add to that. I think I would do a bit of an assessment. So like, what are you planning on doing in your new digital approach? And then match that up to the skills that they maybe have or could learn and if they're missing some of those skills, you might, it might be a blend. It might be of let's train up a couple people and let's hire a new person because look, we really need someone with, with revenue operations expertise. And that's hard to find and hard to train on. And it is a, you do need a unique set of skills in that area. It might be better to hire a rev ops person and add some training to your existing team. And you've kind of used both tools to get your team where they need to be. I, I would highly recommend you take a look at what the team's expertise is, what they, what you think they could learn to do, because that's also important. Learning something new, like Eric said, is going to take some time. And some people may be uncomfortable doing new things and they have to be comfortable doing new things. When court, this is Eric's story, but when Cortez came to the new world, he burned his boats because he did not want the people, his, his sailors to feel like, hey, if I don't like it here, I can just get back on the boat and go home. So I think the same thing is going to be in play here. If your team is open to the new ways and does not want to revert back to what they're comfortable with, then you could have an, an opportunity to train up some people. And if you supplement them with someone new, you might bring some new and interesting ideas into the team and get you exactly where you need to be. We didn't really talk about this too, but time, I, I kind of uh, quickly gl went uh, glanced through it, but time is going to be important here too. If you, if this is a, a very, uh, if you need to get this up and running quickly, then finding some new people might be faster than trying to train your current people. So I think that's a something to think about too. Now, look, today's labor market is not easy, especially in the marketing space. So I'm not going to, it's almost like time hurts you in both of these areas. Um, but you probably could find some resources that would help you get traction faster if you hire than if you tried to train your team and wait, wait for them to kind of get their feet under them. That's what I would suggest to you. By the way, you know, uh, we've talked about it before, but we're big HubSpot fanatics. The HubSpot Academy has so many different courses that your team can take that'll learn about different areas of sales ops, rev ops, marketing ops. Um, not that it's the end all MBA in uh, marketing, but it is sure good from a tactical perspective to give them the basic building blocks of a good marketing program. That's a oh, great- and it's free. Uh, yeah, that's a great idea. And, and if you do want to lean more heavily into the training, I've been noticing- a lot of the colleges are offering a digital transformation and digital marketing certifications. And these are good schools that you could potentially consider putting a, you know, a person or, through, or two through also. Um, again, it's all online. If you're going to spend a little bit of money to really train them up, you, you, know, you could have somebody that's bringing a ton of interesting ideas back to the team to help your overall program for sure. Mike, let me ask you a question, though. Without feeling self-promotional, because obviously we own an agency, wouldn't it cut the learning curve, time and effort if you hired someone to help you develop the strategy and then had your existing people execute it? Yeah, you mean um, bring in an agency like us. An, an agency that could help with the strategy. Yeah. It's not all agencies are strategy first. Yeah. Right? A lot of them are doers and they're like, sure, what do you want done? And they'll just take your order and create a white paper, right? Yeah. But yeah. If you have an agency that perhaps in six months or less, can work with your team, guiding them through that transformation, helping them with the strategy, showing them what other firms are doing for success, you could bypass that time issue that you talked about before. And if the agency was reasonably priced, it might cost you equal to hiring a VP of marketing. Um, just some food for thought. I do think if time is your issue, there is an, an alternative that we didn't really talk about yet, which Eric is alluding to, and you can bring in an agency that, that, again, if you've done an assessment and you realize what you need and what your team can do and maybe what you want to hire for, and there's a gap there, you can find an agency that could come in and fill that gap very quickly. And again, if, to Eric's point, if it's the right agency, they can educate your team along the way. We do a lot of education and, and training in a lot of our engagements to try to teach our clients, teams, what we do and how we do it. So again, I mean, not, we just not, did not, not to promote our agency, but a lot of agencies do that. No, I'll give actually a, 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 an anecdote from our agency that's nothing to do with marketing. 
we wanted to get better at our finance. We are great marketers. We're the last people to do your tax returns. We are the last people to do accounting. We hired a firm to come in and basically audit us, introduce us to areas of improvement, provide us with some tools and training. And now our team is sensitive to a new area or a new lens that we can look at our finances from. We didn't want to start hiring a part-time CFO or a consultant on our team to go through it. We just said, Give, you know, help us cut the learning curve. And what was the total engagement? Like two months maybe from beginning to end? Yes. And so, very, very affordable. Very affordable. And it opened our eyes. And that's what I mean about that. So if you're struggling with marketing and let's say you're a manufacturer and you don't have a heavy marketing emphasis by bringing in some expertise to say, okay, I've assessed what you're doing. This is a path that you might want to follow. These are the steps that you might want to take. Hey, I'll train your people for a couple of sessions and then gently push them from the nest so they can fly on their own is a viable alternative, especially in a tight labor market. I think that's very good advice. Let's do another question. So questions. this is from Ashley in Los Angeles. What signals have you seen that might indicate the team isn't capable of delivering either because of bandwidth or expertise? So I'll take a crack at that and then you can uh, tag along. Um, it should be pretty obvious. A, programs are taking longer than they should to launch. That could be one uh, signal that they're not quite sure about what they're doing or potentially overworked. Uh, so if you're setting some, some timelines with your team, you're saying like, hey, we really need this to launch on Tuesday of next week. And for whatever reason, the program's just not ready to go when everyone agreed it would be. That could be a signal that they are either too busy doing other things. And again, you could reprioritize potentially, or they might just not know what they're doing and, and not really be wanting to admit that. So, you know, they're going to try to like fake it till they make it more or less. And it's just not quite getting done. Or when it is done, you look at it and it's just not ready for prime time. It, it, it's missing things that you would have expected uh, to be there. The other thing is just general performance. Uh, you know, a lot of marketing and, and sales and even customer service today, it's very metric driven. And if it appears as if they're incapable of producing the results you expect, and you, you do know that they have the expertise and you do know that they bandwidth is not an issue and money is not an issue, then there's something wrong there. So um, it's a complicated uh, equation because sometimes people can get in the way of delivery. But I think if the program is not performing or it's taking too long to perform, that's a pretty good indication that you're missing something, either number of resources or, or expertise uh, it's probably not even an investment question. It's probably more they don't know what they're doing and they can't ramp up fast enough or they're just too busy doing other things. And like I said, you could reprioritize, but generally what would be better would be consider bringing some people in who, who do have the expertise and the bandwidth is dedicated to, to your efforts and that would get your program up and running as fast as possible. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, awesome. sometimes you know, we're called in as an agency when the team's not performing. So we see this firsthand. And the, 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 the frustrating part for business owners or leaders of companies is they, they can't put their finger on the why, right? They have nice people in their marketing department. They're earnest and hardworking, but they can't put their finger on why. And that's usually an expertise or bandwidth issue. Like you said, everything's slow down. They can't get it out. We have our biggest trade show coming up uh, 30 days before. We want to start releasing our email promotions to the list. Where are they? Where are they? Where are the links? Where are the offers? Where's Come visit us in booth number one, two, three for your free X, Y, and Z, right? And if they release that as people are on the planes going to the conference, obviously you don't get the same effect. So I think that we see that, but they, they can't figure out the why behind that. Good. Very good point. Uh, I got a question here that was just uh, sent over to us from Jill in uh, also in California. Well, I have a big uh, audience in California. They must be a slow lunch period over there. Um, <laughs> she wrote, I'm sure you run into this frequently, but how should our internal team work with an external team? So there's collaboration learning and we make good progress quickly. Now, this is interesting because we actually got asked this question by a prospect recently. So why don't you share with everybody how, like, what some of our guidance around how you should 
want to and be able to work with any external resources that you might be using to, to help you make progress. Yeah, so backing up to historical facts, agencies goals were I'm going to sign a client up for a retainer and I'm going to hold on for dear life as long as that lasts, meaning that no matter what it takes, I do not want to lose this client. I want to depend on their X thousands of dollars each month to grow my agency. That's great, but that's not aligned with what the client wants. The client wants results and the results to come quickly. So what typically happens there is that there's pushback from the marketing department to hire an agency. Owners are like, oh, I have a problem. I'm going to hire an agency. But then the marketing folks are like, we don't need an agency. We're going to be fine. So right away, you have to have alignment. The new model is that the agency's role is to support the existing marketing and sales team, right? Hey, where are your gaps, buddy? Let me fill them. If you don't know how to fill them, I'll show you how to fill them. If you don't have the bandwidth to fill them, we'll give you some people that know how to do that. And let us support you to kind of either complete or build from scratch your entire buyer's journey, which then could have some training and that internal team can continue to operate that program now that it's either created or fixed. So I think that there's immediately a worry that the marketing people are going to lose their job if an agency comes on board. And I think in a contemporary view, that's not the way it works anymore. The agency is there to fill a specific role to help. Now, if that's the case, then you can have a much easier collaboration, right? People are going to be a little bit more open about sharing. It would be great for us if the client would start with us and their marketing people would say, we're so glad you're here. We have struggled with the following six things. If you could show us how to fix these things, we would be so happy. We would be like, no problem. Remember, we do it for hundreds of clients every year. They do it for one client all the time. So there's a little bit of like uh, collaboration, openness, transparency, perhaps sharing. Um, don't sweep the bad metrics under the rug. Show them to the agency. Let them say, oh, I see your bounce rate is so high. Here's a couple ways we could fix that in short order. And then everything starts running smoothly. Now, in our experience, clients that have now achieved their goals and objectives are so happy we are happy to step to the background for a much more modest engagement to stay attached, but just be there for review and recommend purposes while their team executes and everybody's happy. We have a happy client and the client gets the results they're looking for. But that initial like feeling that the agency is going to come in and change things and people are going to get laid off, it really just has to be thrown out with the bathwater. Danny, you mentioned something that I want to dig into a little bit about the gaps, right? So you said, well, here are the six things we can't do. And that, I don't find that to happen very frequently. It seems like more frequently, they're not sure what those gaps are, right? Mm -hmm. So how can we, or how, how could they identify what the gaps are in their current situation? So they could maybe, I mean, look, maybe one of the gaps is account-based marketing, right? So they need an account-based marketing agency to help them. How can they look at their own situation and try to identify the gaps so that they can go and find the right partner? Well, there's two buckets that that has to go into, right? There's the, I don't know how to do ABM and I need an agency to come in and set up a campaign for me. And then there's the bucket that is like, yeah, we think we're doing everything we're supposed to, but we're not getting results, right? So the ABM scenario is quite easy, right? We have a very identifiable gap, a need, we want someone to come in. A, a great example of that is build us a new website, right? We know that our website is old. A lot of things aren't working. We're gonna bring someone in to fill that gap of doing a new website. It'll be faster, more efficient, expertise will be provided in best practices and you'll have a great website. It's the other one that's a bigger problem. Uh, we're doing everything we think we're supposed to be doing and we can't generate enough leads, our team can't close enough deals and we're flat. In that case, you gotta go to data because data doesn't lie. You know, I was reading a book recently about people that are feel fearful to do entrepreneurial activities. Why are they fearful? Because they don't have any data. It's a new thing, right? But if they had the data, like if you could do the numbers on a real estate investment and they all work out, your fear would go away, something like that. So in this case, an audit of the uh, uh, revenue cycle, right? Or of the buyer's journey even greater would find the areas where things are falling down. So for example, um, companies like yours typically will have website traffic of 2,500 people per month. You have 500 people per month. That's a problem. Let's increase it by doing campaigns, search engine optimization, whatever. Or we get a lot of people that download our white paper, but they don't progress to the next level. Oh, okay. Well, let's look at your nurturing because we see now that that metric is saying that it's stuck right here. 
Now, if you're in a marketing department and you're working your butt off every day to produce the white papers, to post them to your website and to promote them, sometimes you don't have time to do the analysis. Um, the analysis is really where the information lies because the data is what it is. If it's breaking down here, we know to apply resources there. And I think that very few people have a handle on their numbers. Nobody has the time to do data analytics. Nobody can afford $125,000 data analyst just to review their sales and marketing data. So they're stuck. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add two comments to that. I was talking to a marketing leader a couple of weeks ago, and he had a very interesting perspective. And this actually gets back to our strategy conversation. He was telling me, he didn't really want to be a marketing ops expert. He didn't really want to be a sales ops expert. He didn't really want to be a rev ops expert. He wanted to focus on their company and differentiating them and coming up with a great message and, and creating content. He didn't want to deal with the back end part of revenue generation. And I thought that was interesting. And he was like, I'm more than happy to have you guys come in and fill that gap for me. I know where my sweet spot is. I know where I want to spend my time. I know what my priorities are. All these operational things, I just want to have you take care of them for me. I don't want to learn them. I don't want that to be something that we're good at. I'm happy to outsource that to you. Just like we don't do our own taxes. We have an accountant who comes in and specializes in that and takes care of that for you. So I thought that was an interesting conversation. We don't hear that very frequently, uh, but that that's, I guess, someone who's a little more enlightened about where he wanted to spend his time and he because of that it was easy for him to identify the gap in his team's expertise and looking for someone to fill that gap yeah that's that's someone who's really honest about what's going on in their world that's also rare also true yeah all right let's do a couple more questions here i could do this all day mike all right you, you got it and we'll, we'll do it let's see um I think we might have answered this already, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and and just to make sure we covered someone first. So this is uh, Marty's question, Seattle. Resources sometimes mean investment in programs, not people, like we talked about. How do we know if we're balancing that properly? So he's not sure if he's investing enough money in his programmatics, like paid search or paid social or... Um, uh, I don't know what else he would be investing in uh, outside SEO consultants versus the people that he's investing in to drive his own performance. So, so the way this gentleman in Seattle is the leader, not the marketing person. He's the leader. Right. And he's okay. trying to make sure his balance is right. Like maybe I need more people and spend less money, or maybe I need to spend more money and have less people. So how does he know when he has the right balance? Well, that has a lot to do with the persona. So what do I mean by that? The persona is a description of the person you want to target. Part of the persona work is understanding how you can connect with them. Where do they get their information from? What does their buyer's journey look like, right? Technical people love technical things. Uh, salespeople love videos, right? You have to understand how they want to receive their information. So by understanding the persona in great detail, you can understand where you can apply resources to attract them. So for example, if I'm a plant manager and I'm on the floor of my manufacturing facility all day, I don't have a lot of time to be on LinkedIn, connecting with people and reading articles, right? So that might be a SMS kind of activity where I get their cell phone and I'm sending them quick messages with links that they can look at later. So I think understanding the persona because not every target market has the same strategy on how you can talk to them. And I think that that's important because a lot of times customers, uh, prospective customers come to Square Two and they're like, I want you to help me with SEO. So I'm like, well, tell me about your prospective clients. And they're like, oh, well, they blah, 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 their industry. And they usually come to us from referral. So I'm like, all right, well, yeah, I mean, it's important to be found online, but I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket because I understand that the person you're targeting, they're not doing a lot of Googling. So like, that is really good. Now, back to this gentleman from Seattle. I can't remember the first name, I'm so sorry. But if we go and do that same exercise to go deep on the persona, you might find that some of those programmatics that aren't performing aren't performing because they're off strategy. 
And that would lead me to believe, hey, let's cut that and let's hire another internal person to create even more content because we've seen that our target market consumes a lot of content in the buying process. And I'm just making this up, but that would be a great way to kind of make some strategic decisions based upon who you want to attack. I, I can't tell you how many times we've tried to do, uh, or oh, I'll give you a great example. We had uh, clients and they sold to doctors. Now, doctors are notorious for keeping unusually or untraditional schedules. They don't report at nine and they don't leave at five. They do surgery in the morning and then they do seeing patients in the afternoon and rounds at the hospital before they go home. So we had a lot of problem with the programmatics because they weren't performing as they would with some other types of, of prospective clients. But what we did find is that when we emailed them at 10 o'clock at night, they performed beautifully. Why? Because we stood in their shoes and we said, well, what's the life of a doctor? Up early to the hospital, surgery, patients, I come home, dinner with the family, put the kids to bed. Ah, finally, I could do some business. And when we hit them right when they were at their desk in the evening, it was great success. But we had to understand who we were marketing to to make those edits to the program. Sorry for the long answer to the short question, Mike. Yeah, we also, Saturday worked well in that scenario. Yes, also. yes, I remember that. Yeah, uh, I think it, it also, I think this is a function of like trying to do too much in too short amount of time. So I do think you want to be thoughtful in how you execute your program. So, you know, you have a group of people, obviously you're trying, you're asking us how to balance the investment in people and the investment in programmatics. So You've deployed your people appropriately. They're running programs, right? And now you're looking to invest in some of those programs as well and, and making sure you're doing that smartly. I would look at each of the, the tactics you're executing and make individual decisions about the investment in each of those, right? Like you may be spending a lot of time doing email, but that's not costing you a lot. So, you know, you may say, well, you know, it's really only taking Mary, you know, half a day to put our entire email campaign together for the month because, you know, it's all, you know, packaged up and ready to go. And it's getting modest results, but it's costing me only a half a day of Mary's time. Like, we're going to keep doing that. It's nice air cover to the other things we're doing. You may have a, you may be running a paid search program that does require outside investment, additional investment, and a resource to run it. And if that's not performing, then I would spend the time to look at that specific tactic and do some testing and do some uh, optimization. There's so many things you can do with these paid campaigns. You can test creative, you can test copy, you can test targeting, you can test when the placement is, you can test um, click versus impression. Like there's so many things that you can do on the, on the, the different uh, specifics of those programs. It might take somebody with the right skills a couple of months to get through those tests to really come back and to our point and say, hey, I figured it out. Took me four months, but through a series of tests, this is what we learned and this is what we're going. So instead of dumping more money in that right away, let the person run through their exercises. Try to be patient. This is a big uh, takeaway. If you remember nothing from this, you have to be patient. I was talking to one of our um, paid media specialists yesterday, and he was telling me that he, when, when he launches a client's campaign, he doesn't like to touch it for an entire month. He'll look at it after a week, so he knows how it's going. He'll look at it after two weeks, and if we really like press him, he'll consider doing something after two weeks, but that's not really optimal. He wants to let it run for a month. Why is that? Well, the, the tools at his disposal and the scientific algorithms that are now running behind both Google paid ads and, and he was talking about Facebook specifically, Facebook paid ads is you have to let it run for a month so that the algorithm optimizes and you can really see how that initial ad is performing after the, 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 the tools that Google and Facebook give you have gotten their hands on it. And they don't have enough data after a week or two weeks. They need a month's worth of data to really start to, to optimize. Look, they want you to be successful. If you're not successful, you're not going to advertise anymore. So it's in their best interest to get their tools to help you be successful. You got to, he, he says, I got to give it a month. That means you got to give it a month, right? Anybody who's considering this, you got to give it the time it needs to really let the tools do what they're designed to do. And then take a look at it and then run some tests. 
And don't get overly aggressive and change two or three things at the same time, because if it does work, you won't know which one of those things actually contributed to it working better. So it's hard to be patient. We coach clients constantly to be patient, but it might be one of the biggest components to successfully figuring out this balance that you're asking about is being patient, let the team do what you think they're doing, assess their ability to do the things they're doing, let the tools work and evaluate your investment accordingly in, in little bite-sized chunks across each of the individual channels. Again, might not be what you want to hear because everyone wants to know, how do I blow the whole thing up and rebuild it again in three days? But that's not really how the programs work if you're trying to drive growth like we've been talking about. I mean, we had this conversation between the two of us. We wanted to have our, you know, what's wrong with revenue series. And we said, even though in the beginning, nobody will be watching, we must stick it out for, I can't remember the number, 20 episodes or something like that we agreed on, right? Yes, and wouldn't you know it, every week, more episodes are, I mean, uh, more traffic, more questions are being submitted. People are sharing links, which obviously we can see all that data. Yeah. So even our, our own selves, uh, you know, it's hard to take our own advice. Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, look, we're all impatient. We live in a microwave society. We want instant gratification for everything. You know, Amazon has trained me. I click a button today and tomorrow pops up in my door and here I go. I have this thing. Like, how can, how can that not be exciting? And everybody wants similar experiences. Unfortunately, this doesn't really work like that. All right. So here's a question. This is a good one. This is from um, Susie and Susie is in Portland, Oregon. What typically is better suited for our internal marketing team versus an external team or agency? Are there some things we should definitely not hand off to an agency? What do you think about that question? Well, I'm a little skewed being an agency owner. I could do everything for a client that has anything to do with sales and marketing, in my opinion, of course, but that's not really true. I think it's a combination of expertise and investment because if you hire a firm like ours, let's just pick a number, uh, $5,000 a month retainer, okay? If you have a $5,000 a month retainer, that's a choice versus a $60,000 a year full-time employee, right? 60 and 60, which way do I go? Now, some things I think are better served in-house. I really do. Um, I think that if you have a quality copywriter, having that in-house is a really good choice. Now I say quality and I wanna put like little like exclamation mark, like I emphasize it in a text message because a crappy copywriter is worth nothing, right? Someone who's just writing for the sake of writing. But each business has its own nuances, its own story, its own place in the community that they work in. And if a copywriter understood that, you would get much more value in an in-house copywriter than outsourcing that. Now. Other positions, and I'll give you a great example of building a new website. You know, your website is the keystone or the, the linchpin to your entire marketing. Nobody, nobody spends money at your company unless they look at your website. You can't skimp on the website. You can't just have a kid doing your website in the garage, right? That's where you need uh, some serious expertise because it's a big project with a lot of moving parts that is better suited to be outsourced right now. If you're an e-commerce company and your whole business is through your website, that's a different story than you might have internal developers, right? But like you have to look at what the projects are and where you're getting the best value. I think that the first person that you should be hiring is the strategy person. I mean, this is assuming you don't wanna go for an agency. The second person you should be hiring is a copywriter. The third person you should be hiring is an ops person to run the campaigns because you have the great story, the, the copywriter created the content, and then the ops person pushes it out. So if you had that little three-person marketing department, I think there would be value. However, VP of marketing, $150,000 a year, copywriter, sixty dollars to $80,000, $90,000 a year, and a marketing ops person is now $75,000. So if you're looking at that, your annual expense is now approaching $250,000 for that core of three people. Maybe for $10,000 a month, you hire a crack agency, it'll do it for 120,000 and you get access to 50 people, not just the three that you have. So these are all decisions you have to make. But I think when it comes to internal, there are some advantages of having internal people versus uh, outsourcing to an agency. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think the content conversation is especially interesting because look, we create a lot of content for a lot of companies and I think we do a pretty good job at it, but it still requires us interviewing subject matter experts 
us immersing our team in the client's business so we understand their business not as well as they understand it but pretty pretty well for an outside partner and you know we do a good job but it's never going to be as good as someone who's creating content when they're inside right they understand the industry they understand that the company they understand the nuances of the company that the dynamic the company's voice is much more intimate with them than 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 we would you know, we can kind of replicate it, but they really own it, right? And sure, you can see their copywriter on the factory floor wearing the hard hat, asking right. questions to the guys that right. are running the machines. They can really get to know them. Right, right. So I do think if you're looking to keep something in-house, content would be a good place to start. And I would also add video content, right? I think the, 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 the playbook around content is definitely changing. It's a lot less eBooks and white papers and tip guides, and it's a lot more videos. Like, let's just face it. YouTube is the second largest search engine behind their sister company, Google, or their mother company, Google. And uh, uh, 65% of the, what? Alphabet. Alphabet, that's <laughs> Google's parent company. 65% of the world considers themselves visual learners. They don't wanna read, they wanna watch, right? So. If you're thinking in-house content, which I think is a very reasonable approach, don't limit it to traditional kind of written and printed copy. Consider it audio and video and, and printed. And the more audio and video you could do, I think you'll find you'll be able to create a lot more content in a lot shorter time period, which will help a lot of your other tactics excel. Just think about if you're sending an email out and you're sending it out two times a week, and every time it has a new video, it's going to do better than if only one time it has a video or once a month it has a video, right? So the acceleration and the compounding effect of good, strong audio and video content that you can create yourself is going to make your program perform better. There's no question about it. We've seen it a hundred times. Well said, well said. All right. So we'll do a quick question because we have so many and then we'll do uh, love it or leave it. And then we'll see where we are from a timing perspective. Um, Let's see, I don't wanna to be too self-promotional here, so I'm gonna ask you a different question. I'm a new marketing director at a software company. How do I show my CEO that our current program is under-resourced? You talked about metrics last week. What data might help shed some light on this for her? Well, I mean, persuading the leadership to spend more on sales and marketing, always a challenge, right? I think if I was looking at it from a resources section, I would probably do it in two parts. I'd snap a baseline, like we talked about on our last episode, of all the metrics. I'd say, here's where we are, okay? With that, because this person is a smart uh, person, she's going to highlight the areas in red where she thinks that they're falling down based upon the results that they want to get. That's project number one. Right after she presents that, the second part of the project is the solution. Here are the recommendations I have for the resources that are going to cure these problems and get us to the next level. Now, could be a combination of in-house and, and outsourced resources, could be specialists, like you mentioned, that SEO specialist that we were talking about, could be a variety of resources. But the goal is not just to say, we don't have enough resources and that's why we're flat, it's to come up with the solution, right? Hey, I think if we spend, uh, sorry, you can also include I'd like to cut these three trade shows because I did a three-year analysis and we were spending $183,000 on this stuff that ain't giving us leads. Now I want to rotate that $183,000. I want to hire this firm for $20,000 total. I want to do an audit of our SEO for $6,000 and maybe $2,000 a month on that. And then I want to hire a fractional CMO to guide us through our messaging. All of that will be $156,000 and we can bank the other $30,000 or put it more into our paid campaigns. Any CEO that's worth his salt would have to listen to that persuasive argument. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I, I think there's a, you can actually take it a little farther and do some forecasting. So, you know, if you remember last episode, we showed everybody the revenue cycle. I think what I would do is say, look, here's what we're currently doing today. Two new customers a month from our investment in marketing. I think I can get us to eight new customers a month in, from our investment in marketing if we did these three things, and here are the numbers, right? More visitors to our website, more conversions, more marketing qualified leads, more leads for the sales reps, working with the sales reps to get them to close leads faster and at a higher clip will produce real manageable, real tangible numbers that the CEO can say like, wow, I actually five new clients uh, a month would be a lot better than the two new clients we're getting now from our investment in marketing. If you think you can do that, 
And you overlay Eric's suggestion about it's not really going to cost us more money. We're just going to spend it in a different way. We're going to spend it a little more smartly. I don't know who would say no to that. I mean, that seems like a very compelling well, ar argument to me. Let me push back, Mike, because a lot of CEOs would say, well, why don't I just hire another salesperson? They would say that. You know what, Eric? A lot less people are saying that today than I think they were a couple of years well, ago. Well, COVID helped our uh, e e evangelical. Evangelical? No. Uh, evangelical. Evangelizing. Evangelizing. COVID helped us because they see that the salespeople, when not given the easy route, fail. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's becoming really obvious with data and tools that you, you can get better performance from your sales rep if you have a, your sales reps, if you have a smarter approach to it. So that's kind of opening their eyes to not needing to hire a new rep to do more sales, but adding tools and adding efficiencies to them, giving them better quality leads and arming them with the right pieces of content means they can work more efficiently and they can close more with the same group of people. So I think people are start, companies are starting to have this experience that maybe they weren't having a couple of years ago. COVID definitely opened the doors for them to have to try some of these things. They didn't really have a choice, but I think they've been uh, surprised at, at the results, uh, even though COVID might've been the, the um, catalyst to get them trying to do something differently. Agreed. All right. Come Let's, on, man. Love it or leave it. Love it or right, leave it. Here, here we go. Here we go. We're going to do love it or leave it. Uh-oh. Um, that was the image. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. I got it. Maybe we should outsource our technical skills. I got multiple, I got multiple, uh, multiple windows up here. There she is. Dun, dun, dun. That's a little slow to load. Come on, Mr. Internet. Did you pay the internet bill? The hamster's not running properly. <laughs> Give us the topic while it's loading. The topic is, interestingly enough, account-based marketing. Hmm. So account-based marketing, we talked about it a little bit. Give the, the crew here like a brief two-minute just review of what it is so we're all on the same page and then do your love it or leave it with us. Sure. So account-based marketing is outbound not inbound like we normally talk about, it's outbound, introducing your company to companies that you feel that would be a good fit or you'd like to do business with. So for example, uh, Square Two, our firm, uh, does a lot of work with private equity firms who wanna hire us to help their portfolio companies. An account-based marketing program would be Square Two, reaching out to the managing directors of private equity firms, introducing ourselves and letting them know what we can do to help them. That can be done in a variety of ways, cold emails, LinkedIn outreach, lumpy mail packages to their office, uh, posts in groups where those folks hang out. And the whole goal <laughs> is to introduce them and start a conversation. I would say that you gotta love it because in today's market, if you're not blending inbound and outbound, you're missing a large opportunity. I think that if you took the time to create uh, your dream 100 list, and you divided those 100 companies that you'd like to do business with into five groups of 20, and you assigned each group to one of your five salespeople, and you compensated them for attacking that, and I don't mean in a vicious way, I meant by aggressively introducing them, and finding out who the decision maker is, setting up a meeting with the salesperson, and then taking it the rest of the way home, that's a very effective way to drive sales opportunities. Don't get me wrong. I own an inbound marketing agency <laughs> with my old friend and partner, Mike. We love doing inbound programs, but also waiting for inbound to kick in or waiting for inbound to, for folks to find you via inbound can be supplemented with a little bit more of outbound or a little bit more aggressive approach to introduce yourselves and be proactive. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah, I'm going to love it too. Sorry, I got a, like a tickle in my throat. I'm going to love it too. So bear with me. However, I'm going to have a caveat to my love it because <clears throat> a lot of people think it's like the, the easy button. Oh, I'm going to identify these companies. I'm going to reach out to them. They're going to want to do business with me. Sales is going to follow up and we're going to close everybody on our list. And I think if you understand really what's happening with account-based marketing, it's the epitome of an orchestrated campaign. You can't just simply buy a list of people you want to talk to. 
and send them emails. That's not going to work. That, that's actually not account-based marketing. That's just cold email campaigns. Or uh, <laughs> irritating the heck out of people. Let's also call that. <laughs> Which we've all, we've all are now massively irritated by the people who are doing this. So yeah, everybody understands exactly what you're talking about. But if you can get alignment with the sales team, and by the way, one of the reasons I love account-based marketing is to drive sales and marketing alignment. You, you literally can't run an account-based marketing program without sales and marketing alignment. So you have marketing creating assets and tools, and you have sales taking those tools to market. So sales is reaching out to people on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, trying to connect with them, offering them some of the assets that marketing created. They're trying to get that connection. That connection is the first step in an account-based marketing program. So, you know, I have to basically say, sure, Eric, I'd be interested in, in what you have to say. Without that connection, he's just pounding on my door and I'm not answering him. If that connection is made and I'm kind of inviting him into my universe, well, now Eric has to get me engaged. That's a whole nother set of assets that he has to deliver to me. And by the way, they have to be role-specific, industry-specific, probably even pain specific to really get my attention. Remember, I don't have a problem. I'm sitting here by myself doing my thing. He's trying to get my attention. He's trying to tell me I have a problem. He has to have really powerful tools to get me to sit up and be like, oh, wait a minute. I never really looked at it like that. I, he, he might be right. I, I might have a problem that I'm completely unaware of. Um, I, I want to talk to him. Or I at least, I at least want to look at what he's sending me, right? So, you know, that's not going to take a day or two. That, that's not going to take one or two touch. That's going to take a sales team that is committed for months to connect with these people, to engage with them in conversation, and then to start to pull them into the sales process in a constructive, guided, and, and educational way. So I'm all for account-based marketing if it's executed the right way. I Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are not executing account-based marketing in the way we just described. I think a lot of them are simply trying to get a connection on LinkedIn and sending a cold email. So in that case, I don't, I, I hate it, but in the proper case, of course, I love it. Well articulated, Michael. Thank you, Eric. Now, we have a couple minutes left. Can I just make a quick note? Of don't forget software around your account-based marketing to keep it organized. And there's a lot of good tools that you could use and that would make it easier, organized, and give you the metrics you're looking for. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, <clears throat> because there's so many moving parts, it's almost impossible to know what's going on if you don't have some software or some tools or even a really tight CRM to keep track of how many times did Eric uh, try to connect with me on Facebook? How many, how many LinkedIn connections has he gotten of the targeted accounts we handed him, right? I need to know how effective he is at making those initial uh, uh, connections. And, and all those connections he made on LinkedIn, how many of those people are now engaged in our content, right? Because Eric is delivering the content instead of the salespeople deliver. I mean, instead of the marketing uh, people delivering the content, I might have 50 Eric's I have to keep track of, right? 20 of them might be awesome at it. 20 of them might be mediocre at it. 10 of them might not be good at it at all. We got to understand that. And I got to pull those 10 people aside and say, hey, you're having some trouble here. Let me see if I can help you. Let me at least get some feedback. What, what's, what are your struggles? Why isn't it working? Give me some ideas as to what the obstacles are so I can arm you with, with better tools or train you in, in a better way to, to make those connections. So it is a very complicated program. And anyone who has executed any account-based marketing will tell you it's a very complicated program. Anyone that tells you this is easy and we can get it spun up in a couple of days or this is going to produce results in no time at all, I would run away from those people immediately. Awesome. So just a couple minutes left. Let's do a quick wrap up here. So awesome topic. Uh, next week, you, you might remember this, you might not, but um, next week, we're going to go back in time. So if you remember, we did a special report on the privacy changes, Apple, the death of the MQL, and we bumped a session for that. And that session was an important one. And I was going to wait a little longer to get back around to it, but I want to get to it next week. So we, we talked about marketing. We talked about sales. We haven't talked about current customers and how effective it is driving revenue from current customers. So next week, our show, What's Wrong With Revenue?, it's going to focus on your inability to mine revenue from your current customers in an efficient and effective programmatic way. So we're going to go deep in how you can market to customers to generate revenue. You may or may not know this, but customers are your fastest source of revenue. Why? 
they already know you. They already like you. They already trust you. They've already been working with you. So if you're telling them more compelling stories, if you're introducing them to new products and new ways to use your product or uh, things that other people like them are doing, we're going to get their attention in no time at all. So join us next you know, Wednesday. You know Go what ahead, I hate, Mike? What's that? When I hear, I didn't know you guys did that. Yeah, which actually but, happens very frequently, right? And we no, also ask a lot of our prospects, well, how many of your clients know about every single thing you do? And what do, they, what do most of them say? Uh, no. Not, not many. Right. <laughs> right. But that's something so, we'll cure next week, right, Mike? Yeah, this is a, this is a really good hidden area um, uh, in, in terms of uncovering revenue for all of you. So join us next Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Check out this show posted on our website. At the bottom of our website in the footer, What's Wrong With Revenue? All the shows are posted there. They'll also be on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing channel and on a podcast platform near you. Thank you very much. Have a really great uh, morning, afternoon, and evening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.